So, um, as I said in my WhatsApp message in the broadcast group, I'm keen to follow on from the last time I preached, which is on the 17th, just before the conference. Um, we had last week off. Did anyone come to church when we had off? No. Yes. <laughs> okay, we failed in our communication. I, I apologize for that. Is it joking? Okay. It does happen from time to time. And in Murphy's Law, the one time Wayne and I sat outside for an hour, no one came. So I was like, this is not a perfect science. But anyway. Um, so I want to keep preaching into this thing in um, Philippians 2. And I want to preach into Philippians 2, 12 and 13, which are very well-known verses. And you'll know them when I read them to you. But I want to provide some context. So Philippians 2, 12 and 13, which is following on from what we, I preached before, which is 11 and 12. And I'm going to talk about that now. It says, therefore... My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, who's heard that passage before? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, you've heard that part. Okay, we've all heard that part. But it's very hard to read this passage without going through the context of what we spoke about last week. So I want to run very quickly, for those who weren't here and haven't listened to the sermon, what we spoke about two weeks ago. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11, I want to get on the board quickly. I'm going to give you a very quick praise of what my sermon was about. Okay, so we spoke about being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord in one mind. And remember, I spoke about the difference between same and similar so we are called to have the same mind, not a similar mind, because a similar mind will go in a different direction, and often that will bring division inside the church. And then we spoke about this thing of selfish ambition, which we spoke about as well in Galatians, where it says that's one of the things not to do, because people who practice selfish ambition will not inherit the kingdom of God, a very sober warning. And then we also spoke about, ultimately, which was the gist of the preach, was Jesus' humility, and how he came to earth and he went to the cross for our sins, and our kind of landed it there as like, let's model and emulate what Christ has shown to us. So let's leave behind those things and model and emulate what Christ has shown for us. Okay, that makes sense. So you're very caught up very quickly. And then the, it finishes 11, then it goes into 12. And it goes, therefore, dear friends. So he's going, therefore, in light of what you've just read in Philippians 2, 1 to 11, therefore, do this. Okay, so he's going, don't do these things as warnings that the Apostle Paul is, is warning us about in 1 to 11, as well as uh, the example of what Christ has done. And then he says this thing of work, therefore, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's quite, it's quite an interesting passage, and I hope to break it down a little bit now. But remember, he says this in light of this passage in Philippians 1.6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've got this thing of Christ will, will complete what he started. And he says further down that we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And so you might be asking the question, what does it mean to work out your salvation? What exactly am I working out? And I, I think the question comes because we don't read the whole passage. We don't read the passage in context. How often have we just heard the first part? How often do we say it to each other? I say it to my kids often. 
But the passage is this, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, and this is the important part, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you. So in other words, we act upon what God is revealing to us in this process of sanctification. So God is speaking to us and revealing things to us as we walk out this journey of sanctification. Now who knows what the word sanctification means? One of those big Christian words that we use all the time, going, well, everyone knows what it means, but maybe you don't. Who, show of hands, who does know what it means? Okay, well, that's good to know. Let me explain to you what it means. Sanctification means to set apart for special use or purpose. That is, to make holy or sacred. So when we come to Christ, we are born again, and then we start this process of being made holy by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we become more like Christ. None of us come to Christ perfect. And in fact, uh, we're not perfect until we're with him in eternity. But we're going through this process of he's slowly working things into us and working things out of us. Or maybe it's just me. So really, in simplest form, it's this. Work out what the Spirit works in. Work out what the Spirit works in. And so as believers, we constantly in this process of working things out, of being made more like Jesus. And it's an active thing, not a passive thing, that we are involved in. In fact, I'd say this, it's the very opposite of the mantra, let go and let God. Right? I don't think sanctification is really ever let go and let God. Or Jesus take the will. <laughs> that was a song, apparently. I never, I actually did hear it. Anyway, it was interesting. Michelle knows it. It's a good one. Number one on CCFM <laughs> for like the last 20 years. <laughs> so I think the process of sanctification is the opposite of let go and let God. God is always working things in us. We've had, in the prayer meeting, people were repenting of things because God is working in their heart. Just as we heard people at the conference, God is, is revealing stuff and showing stuff to people. Dave, face down, Marco, in tears, Julian, in tears. Because God is always revealing stuff for our own good, going, what are the things that I need to work into you and get out of you as you walk out this journey and you walk out this journey of sanctification and, and salvation? That he reveals our blind spots and our flaws and as well as encouraging us to be more like Christ. And I suppose all of us at some point have been through that process. Now I want to illustrate a little bit. So I've got a picture. Hey, okay. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> this is a bus. We, we were overseas recently. We were very privileged to go overseas as a family and travel. And we went to Italy and... Uh, because we were trying to be very budget conscious, we caught buses. And uh, originally, I wasn't planning to catch any buses. I was like, we're going to walk everywhere. <laughs> and after the first day, Huck is like, there's no ways. What are you talking about? So she's like, we need to work out the bus system. It never crossed my mind. I was like, buses? Who does that? Anyway, but this is, this is a small bus in Rome. So this is a bus they use on the very small streets. I called it a half loaf when I saw it because it looks like that. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so let me illustrate what I mean, this journey of sanctification. So we went overseas, we were traveling, as I said, 
And when we get to a new city, we've got to decide. We decide on a destination we want to get to. So it's something of the analogy of God reveals something to you. For us, it was we need to get to this place. Okay, whatever it was, wherever we were. We need to get to a beach or to a garden or wherever. Wherever we plan to go that day. And uh, so you, you figured out where you're going. That's the destination. But then you've got to plan how to get there. And so every city I went to, every city has their own app for the bus, which makes no sense. Because literally, as you're on the train to the next city, you're getting the next app and then trying to figure it out, going, okay, how do I pay? It was causing me constant anxiety. <laughs> like, it really was. I was like, how do I pay? Okay, I can't pay. Okay, I can pay the credit card. Card. Like, it just, it was, anyway. But then you plan your routes. And, and then the app is amazing because it says, catch this bus, get off here, catch that bus. And you, you, you somehow find your way around. And uh, that's the easy part. The hard part is actually getting on the bus because that's the work. That's, the, that's actually the process of working this thing out. Like we heard guys saying that God reveals stuff to them at the conference. That's great. They've got, they've got something God has revealed to them. Now they need to work it out. They can't just say, well, at the conference, God revealed it to me. Awesome. Because nothing is going to change unless they go, okay, I've got a plan. I've got a direction. Right, I'm going to get onto the bus. And can I tell you, the first bus we caught was the most fearful, anxious, anxiety-inducing experience of my whole life. Because you're in a foreign country, I don't know where this bus is going. I think it's going here. And then like, it's like, okay, it should turn here. It didn't turn. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know what's going on now. Okay. And then it turns later. And then we missed buses. Like I wasn't the best navigator. A few times the girls had to walk home for like 40 minutes at a time because the buses had stopped running, which you know, makes sense in Italy, but not to my brain. <clears throat> but that's all part of the journey. And it was exhilarating and scary. We went on, on trips. We, we actually joked in India. We were like, we're getting a free like, tourist drive because we're in areas of, of Genoa. We don't know, I don't know where we're going. Like, it's weird and it's getting a little bit sketchy, but we'll just stay on the bus. But it wasn't just the journey, as much as fun as that was, and you get used to it and it gets easier, but actually the reward or the goal was the amazing part. He's like, we're going to go to this place, and then you're walking around and you walk the corner and you see this thing, and you're like, I have no context for this. This is beautiful. Like, we don't have stuff like that here. We went to a town and there was a church which was built in 1200. As a family, we're going like, What? You can't process how old that was. And it's still sitting in the middle of the city. You can just walk in. I was like, it is very interesting. But there's something about that. So the rewards were amazing. We saw stuff. And that's kind of what it is, this process of sanctification. When God points something out to you, and he says, I'm working this thing into you. You need, you need to work it out. And let me just clarify this. I'm not saying that we are working for our salvation. Okay, this is not, salvation is not works-based. You don't work harder in order to add to your salvation. Your salvation is by faith, alone, through grace. Okay, it is a gift from God. Okay, we work as a result of our faith in Christ. Our works are a result of our faith in Christ because we're emulating and following what Christ showed us. Okay, so please, don't hear what I'm not saying. We're not working for our salvation. We are working from a place of faith that has been given to us as a gift. We're going, thank you, Jesus. Now you've prepared good works for me to do. Okay. Is that clear? Okay. So, who feels like God is working in a particular area in your life at this time? You can answer. Yeah, about 50%. 
Okay, Black. The rest of you, <laughs> the rest of you are all fully sanctified, which is amazing. <laughs> Look, I would venture to guess that God is saying something to all of us, whether it's a big work or just something small that He's saying to us at some point. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a major thing. It's just like, hey, God's revealing something to me. That's incredible. But if he has revealed something to you, like the guys at the conference said, I think my, my, the more important question is this. Did you complete the work in the previous area God was working in? Or did you jump off the bus quickly before you got to the final destination and jumped onto another thing? Because I think God is very intentional in showing us stuff that we walk that thing out to completion. Otherwise, we end up with a whole bunch of stuff we've never worked out or walked through. And we've just got this like graveyard of stuff we've never actually processed. Because I, I, I think like anyone, as believers, we're bombarded with content daily. I don't know about you, but social media, look, it is a choice, but it, you know, it is hard. And our brains are constantly saturated with content. And I think it's the same for believers. I think actually as believers, we start multitasking with the things of God. And I think actually we, we, what multitasking does is it hinders our ability to focus and shortens our attention span. So I think by default, most of us through culture have got a shortened attention span. So when God shows us something, he says, I want you to work on this. We go, okay, I'll work on it for the next few days and it should be sorted out. But I don't think it always works like that. I think God is so intentional. He'll go, if it takes you a year to work it out, it takes you a year. <laughs> or we might start something we feel God is saying to us and get sidetracked or work on multiple things or the same thing and we never complete any of them. I, I'll be honest, I'm quite good at that. I, for a long season of my life, used to read a devotional every morning. And I'm not against devotionals. I don't read one anymore. But at some phases in my life, I felt like God was saying something different to me every day. And it became impossible sometimes to actually to go like, okay, well, how do I work yesterday's thing out? Because I've got 12 hours before the next thing God says to me. And I've got 12 hours, and I've got 12 hours. And before you know it, you're like, I, I, think, of, I think, I don't know. Uh, just be careful with that with devotionals, I think. And I would say also this, with, with online content and Christian content, be very careful not to watch everything on the internet. Because you're always going to get a lot of revelation, that's good, but, but does that stuff you're watching tie into what the Holy Spirit said to you to work through at some point? Or you're just bouncing around watching a whole bunch of stuff and going, I think I need to work on this and this and this. Yes, we've all got areas to work on, but focus on one thing. Multitasking, as far as your spiritual life's concerned, is a train wreck. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit harsh. <laughs> Work out what the Spirit works in. And ask God to show you that one thing and work it out until it's done. I remember, who remembers Will Murray? Um, yeah, he was an apostolic figure in our church. Amazing man. Really an incredible man. And when, when we went with the Weinberg plant seven years ago? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, we were part of the group that planted out of City Bowl to plant Weinberg. And uh, Will Murray was part of it. I remember him coming to the church and supporting us. And there was a prayer meeting once for the whole church. And Will Murray got up and said this, and he quoted Psalm 46.4. He said, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. 
I was like, great, man, what an amazing passage. Like, well, I can really feel it's like God is speaking to me through this passage. And I was like, great, amazing. You see, the, what, what perplexed me was Will came back to the church almost a year later. And he got up and he said, I feel like God's showing me something. And he said, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God. I was like, what? Umare, apostolic. But he was still working through this passage. Because he hadn't lost the wonder of what it meant. A year later, he's going, oh, this thing still gets me. I'm still processing what this means for me as a person. And at that point, actually, at some point, I was like, just brew, come on, move on. And then actually it hit me. I was like, no, he's figured something out I haven't. I'm jumping from content to content. He's going, ah, that thing spoke to me. I'm going to focus on that thing until, until God has finished speaking to me through that thing, and then I'll move on. I'm just going to jump to quote quickly. No, no, let me don't do that. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to labor this point again, so bear with me. 2 Peter 1.6 6 says this, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For you possess these qualities and continue to grow in them. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these traits is nearsighted to the point of blindness, having forgotten that he was cleansed, from his past sins. And I think when we look at this passage with our modern mind, I do this, we read it and go, okay, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, okay, I'll get that done this week, and then I'm going to read the next passage and master those things. And I don't think that's what scripture is saying. I think it's a slow, progressive thing. You've received faith. Add to that faith, Virtue. Virtue means high moral standard. Okay. Once you've got that, okay, now add to your high moral standard knowledge. Why? Because knowledge will inform you and help you in your self-control. See, it's this, it's this progressive thing, and we just go, I'm just going to get it all in one go and move on to the next thing. What if God has spoken to you about perseverance? Dave actually had a word for someone in the congregation that maybe someone was struggling with their faith and wondering if they were to stay in the faith or not, or struggling whether to stay in the faith. And his encouragement to that person, if they are here, is to persevere, is to keep going. And so this thing of multitasking and being fragmented and all over the place and trying to do too much at once and think through everything, I don't think that's what the gospel is saying. I don't think that God is saying. I think, actually, I think the better thing is to be it's called single-tasking. It doesn't sound as good as multitasking. But single-tasking is literally this, doing one thing at a time. Can I, can I say this? It's quite bold. But I think we talk about New Testament Christianity and going back to the Acts 2, 42 to 47 church. I think they would have been single-minded. I really do. I think single-mindedness would have been a trait of that church. I don't think they would have been all over the place multitasking with everything. I think they would have known that this is what we need to do, especially the early disciples. So can single tasking be a trait of this church and of the New Testament church? Because it improves focus, productivity, improves mental health and well-being. And actually, most importantly, I think single, a single tasking or single-mindedness is a sign of a mature believer. 
Ephesians 4 talks about infants being tossed to and fro. As mature believers, we shouldn't be being tossed to and fro by new doctrine. We should be single-minded, having worked through the process of what we believe. So I'd say this for those who went to the conference specifically, and I'm so glad these guys shared, because I think for you guys specifically, and for myself, what is the one thing that you felt God was saying to you at the conference? And how are you going to work it out to completion? We got together with some guys in um, Pishuk. Sometimes the Deep South guys have a coffee together. And that was one of the topics we were talking with Lance. It's actually meditating and chewing on what God is saying to you for a while. And not just moving on to the next thing. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a very famous reformed author, incredible scholar. He says this, this is incredible because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. When you are reading your scriptures in this way, it matters not whether you have read little or much. If a verse stands out to you and hits you and arrests you, do not go on reading. (laughs) Stop immediately and listen to it. It is speaking to you, so listen to it and speak to it. Stop reading at once and work on this statement that has struck you in this way. And then for the the preachers and pastors, it says this, go on doing so to the point of making a skeleton of a sermon. And I think that could apply to all of us, actually, is that you you so um, work through a passage where actually you could come out with a full sermon of what you feel God is saying in that one thing. But I love it when he says that. He says, stop. Do not go on reading. What is God saying to you? What is the one thing that God is saying to you? Because often we, we, we judge our quiet times by how much we've read of the Bible. I read four chapters today. Well, that is amazing, because maybe God can speak to you through four chapters. Maybe you read one line, and you're so arrested with that one line that you spend the next month on that line. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us. And that's important because it's God who works in us. And so we don't do it on our own strength. We don't go, well, God has told me this thing, I've got to work it out now, and I've just got to suck it up and do it. Because in Colossians 1.29 it says, "For For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which works mightily within me. And so this journey, this process of walking it out is empowered by God. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so you need the Holy Spirit to walk with you through this journey and walking out your salvation. Now, there's one part of the passage I haven't got to yet. So let's address the elephant in the room. Fear and trembling. Or maybe you didn't notice I left that part out. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Or think of 1 Peter 1.17. Since you call on a father who judges each of each one's works impartially, conduct yourselves in reverent fear during your stay as foreigners. One more, 
2 Corinthians 7.1, Since you have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what does this mean? Does this mean you wake up every morning trembling, fearful of what might happen? And I do think that this passage can get pulled out of context and has been abused. So I think we need to be very careful how we approach it. But remember this, that it is God who works in you and not just anyone. And I think we saw that in worship. There's something about there's a reverence when we come to God, a holiness when we come to God, going, these are the things of God. And they are altogether different, actually. There's a seriousness and a soberness to when we come to God in worship and when we come to Him in, actually in any aspects of our life. So, the common thing is to say that there is no fear in God. He is love and perfect love casts out all fear. Which is true. As believers, we have escaped the wrath of God. Because that passage says that there's no fear in God because fear has to do with punishment. So of course, we, if, if, we, if we, under the wrath of God, there is a fearfulness of God because we know what is to come. And so as believers, we have escaped God's wrath. But let me say this, unbelievers haven't. Think about that. John 3.36 says this. It says, if you don't accept Christ, you remain under the wrath of God. <laughs> what does that mean, remain? It means you're there. And I would implore you, if you're here this evening and you don't know the Lord, God is your Lord, there is reason to fear, and I would implore you to run to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so the only way for us to escape the wrath of God, to escape punishment from God, is to run to Christ and receive the atoning sacrifice that he, he made for us on the cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so yes, it is a fearful thing to be out of Christ, but it's a wonderful thing to be in Christ. And it's a free invitation. There's no work. There's nothing you need to do. All you need to do is accept it and repent and go, Christ, accept me, please. I'm so sorry for sinning against the holy God. Forgive me. And he takes you from a place of being under the wrath of God into being into the love of God. Matthew 10, 28 says this. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. <laughs> Guys, these are holy things. These are holy things. Getting amen there. I like it. <laughs> Now, does that mean that believers, as believers, we don't have any fear of God? Well, I think, <laughs> what's he going to say? I should do a poll. 
as believers, do we have no fear of God at all? I don't think so. I think, we, I think there's place for us to have a healthy fear of God. I really do. The, the, some commentaries will say of this passage, fear and trembling, a healthy fear of offending God through disobedience and an awe and respect of his majesty and holiness. When God has revealed something to us, revealed something to us in our hearts and he wants us to work it out, do we have a holy fear of offending God through disobedience? Or are we just like, it's God, it's cool, he loves me. <laughs> he does. Of course he's love. But I think we need to, I really do think we need to have a holy fear of him. I do have a holy fear of God. And when people say we, we never need to fear God, I always think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. New Testament. At this instant, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her outside beside her husband. And it says this, and a great joy came over the whole church. A great elation came over the whole church. They were so filled with love, it came over the whole church. No, a great fear came over the whole church and all who heard about these events. All who heard about the events. <laughs> People outside the church were fearing. This is the holy God. I, I forgot to send around the Titan offering box today. <laughs> Maybe, did you? Oh, okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I do think the early church was in awe of God, but I also think that there was a genuine fear of him. I really do. And that's, I don't, I'm not here to freak anyone out or condemn anyone. Trust me, I'm not. I will. Of course God is love. You have to balance these things. Of course he is. And he loves his people dearly. But let's not take it for granted. C.S. Lewis famously wrote this quote, and you probably know it. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Sarah, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I tell you. Huh. Guys, we serve an awesome God. Eh? And I don't mean awesome as in like, he's just awesomely cool. No, he's awesome. Awe-inspiring. God. And so there is a balance there, of course. Of course, God is love, but we need, to, we need to balance these things out with a healthy fear of him. So in light of this, let us work out our salvation. Always remembering that God in his grace has brought us into relationship with himself and only through the sacrifice of his son. And this is great cause for joy and to put our hands to the plow and to work out what the Spirit works in. Let God work in you and him, allow him to complete the work before moving on. Again, our passage, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let me pray.